2: If instead Putin doubles down, then so shall we, further ratcheting up economic pressure and supporting Ukraine with finance. Sanctions have to be as powerful as they can possibly be. We will be pushing the government to go further and faster. We could have a massive miscalculation and we will then
3: be in a full-scale war across the globe.
4: You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Ewan Potts.
0: And good afternoon, I'm Caroline Hepger. Well, in today's special programme, we're focusing on the government's migration policies. We'll be speaking to Joseph Mullen. He's a former UN advisor to Rwanda. And we'll also get the view of Peter Walsh from the Migration Observatory. Now, the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, famously campaigned for Brexit as a way to regain the UK's sovereignty and control over its borders. When running to become Prime Minister. He called for an Australian-style points-based system so that Britain could be more selective about letting in migrants.
4: The Conservative Party has long courted those worried about the level of migration to the UK but it now finds itself being criticised from both directions for not having reduced migration flows enough but also recently for having been too slow to help those fleeing Ukraine. Now its new policy to send migrants 4,000 miles to Rwanda for processing has been criticised as draconian and a publicity stunt but the government insists is both a practical plan and there is no easy alternative to stopping small boats crammed with people from crossing the channel
0: well to discuss this we're joined now by bloomberg's political reporter joe mays joe great to have you on the program what is the government's plan then as far as they've fleshed it out
3: so the plan is effectively to give a one-way ticket to rwanda to anybody who crosses the english channel and tries to claim asylum in the uk inadmissibly so that's to say The government believes they have already passed through a country through which they could have claimed asylum, but instead they've tried to come to the UK and, in the government's words, tried to jump the queue, so to speak, to claim asylum in the UK. So they would be sent to Rwanda, having been processed in the UK, and they would then be put in a detention facility whilst Rwanda assesses their asylum claim, with the ultimate aim of trying to claim asylum in Rwanda. There will be no possibility of claiming asylum in the UK. And as you say, it's affected the government trying to create a huge deterrent from crossing the English Channel in the first place, if migrants know that, there is simply no chance they would be able to claim asylum in the UK. And, um, and yes, so it will be about claiming asylum in Rwanda. And as you say, it's been criticised on, on multiple grounds. Firstly, on the idea that it's very costly. We know that the government is in a £120 million partnership with Rwanda as a start-off uh, to create this partnership. So they're basically giving large sums of money to Rwanda for every uh, in migrant who is, who is settled there. And we don't know how costly it could become in the long run. And is that more cost effective than just doing it in the UK? That's one criticism. The second is that it might not even work. You know, Will will the migrants even know about this plan? And will that therefore mean they don't cross the channel? Because if they don't know about the plan, they'll still come. So there's various criticisms that have been made against it.
4: Uh, Joe, what about the uh, politics of this? It's certainly been controversial in many parts of, uh, of the left. Is it also controversial within uh, Conservative ranks? Or, or are they fairly united behind this?
3: There is a split. Some people are in favour, but others, like Andrew Mitchell, for example, the former International Development Secretary, he's very openly against it for some of the reasons I just gave you, the idea of caste, the idea of impracticality, and, in a sense, the inhumanity of it, in his words. So the idea that... Migrants will be held in detention facilities for a long time, both in the UK and Rwanda, while their claims are being processed. And we know that Rwanda has been criticised in the past for its human rights records. There are some concerns about that as well. And if someone's just made that very uh, arduous journey across the English Channel, is it humane to then put them through this whole process? You you think not. But the government response is: well, our aim is that no one makes this crossing in the first place. So they won't have to go through that process. So you can see where where the debate is here.
0: Um, also, this does fit into the kind of broader um, debate and the bill for the Nationality and Borders bill. So how does it kind of fit into that?
3: Yeah, so this is the government tr- saying that this is the most effective way of pre- preventing these these crossings, which they have made out to be a exceptionally important political issue and essentially challenging the opposition Labour Party and saying, look, we have this very tough plan. What's your plan? And trying to essentially paint them as weak on this issue and the uk and boris johnson's government believes that this is a kind of wedge issue where they can try and rally lots of their base and uh, be essentially quite populist about this issue knowing that many of their heartland seats were pro-brexit which had a very strong anti-immigration slant to it so really trying to kind of marginalize labor on this issue and kind of baiting them to come out against it so the tories can say look you guys are weak on immigration uh, and the tories think that's it that's a good line to have
4: Joe Mace, thanks so much for joining us. That's Bloomberg's Joe Mace, bringing us up to date with some of the politics around the government's uh, asylum policy.
0: Well, let's continue the conversation now, Bring in Joseph Mullen. He is expert witness currently to the UK's Immigration Asylum Chamber. He also is a former UN advisor to Rwanda and a senior lecturer at the University of Manchester, amongst other titles. Welcome to the programme. Thank you for being with us, Joseph. Um, You've come out effectively against this, saying that having worked in Rwanda, you think that this will policy affect Won't work. Why not? Uh,
5: Simply because the when one recognises the the country of Rwanda, it is a small landlocked country in Central Africa. It's it's, uh, slightly larger than Wales, uh, but however, it's got four times the population of Wales at thirteen point five million. It's the highest density. In population terms, in Africa, it's 500 persons per square kilometre. And it also um, uh, it has previous experience as a plus. It has got previous experience with dealing with refugees. Now, but this is um, it's a very specific experience that Rwanda has in terms of having a, an agreement a memorandum of understanding with the UN High Commission of Refugees for transiting refugees from Libya. And they will possibly come under Norwegian financing to Rwanda. Um, Previous experiences with Israel have uh, basically come unstuck. As the, as the asylum seekers left the country within a short period of time and rejoined the migrant smuggling routes. So Rwanda itself, as a country, it's mm. a stable country. It's got excellent economic growth, um, very good um, governance structures in place. Uh, the infrastructure is... Um, it's, it's got an ability to cope with yes. a migrant population. But however, um, it, it is not a country which would have the career uh, possibilities, economic opportunities for many of the migrants that would be crossing the Channel okay. who essentially come from the Middle East.
4: And, and you've also written about, about cultural problems with Rwanda being a, a Christian country as well, haven't you?
5: Yes, indeed, yeah. Uh, this It is... Um, A Christian country; there is a minority Islamic population, um, but the whole ethos of the country is um, is Christian. It should also be noted, however, that in its in its tradition of um, of welcoming refugees, Kagame, President Kagame himself, is actually a refugee. He actually um, went through his uh, further education in Uganda, and it was actually the head of the military intelligence in that country before coming back to his homeland.
0: Now, now one um, of the criticisms, I'm interested, though, that you mentioned that you feel that Rwanda, um, although uh, very densely populated, is a place that could cope with with this kind of n- number of, of migrants that you know may arrive from the UK. Um, there has been criticism, though, um, about the, the very point about Rwanda's human rights record, that actually that is one of the yes. issues that would prevent this. You, you don't agree on that score? What's your view on, on that?
5: I've record? got certain reservations on that. There may be issues relating to human rights, but human rights is a cost of stability in the country there is a very precarious ethnic mix, which is easily destabilised. All we need to do is look at Burundi, the neighbouring country, similar population, similar ethnic mix. And the the human rights record of Burundi is much worse than that of Rwanda, number one. And secondly, a much higher degree of uh, instability and of poverty. The third factor is Um, When you correlate human rights to stability, most countries have got problems. For Mm -hmm. example, the question of rendition, um, the question of uh, bringing countries to the International Criminal Court on uh, human rights um, deviations.
0: Yeah, uh, and Rwanda, which are quite complex least, issues. The more straightforward question, though, perhaps, is, you know, is this setting a rather uh, dangerous precedent? Because surely what is involved is, is payment to Rwanda in exchange for hosting migrants from, from the UK. I mean, that, that's that's quite a precedent to set, isn't it? it
5: well, it isn't just such a precedent. If we look at the Australian example, who are currently paying 1.5 million pounds per refugee, uh, have budgeted for that um, in their budget, and are um, also softening their stance on that with a general election coming up next month. Um, I. Yeah. Obviously, Rwanda needs compensation. Yes. There, there, is, there is a conundrum here. In the first place, the UK has cut its official aid to Rwanda. Only a year ago, it cut a, a, um, a headline project to assist vulnerable adolescents in the country, £12.5 million. Pounds.
0: So you're now, part of the foreign aid budget. Yeah. Yep.
5: yeah, from the aid budget. With the other hand, it is returning 120 million as a as a a down payment against a
1: potential agreement. (laughs)
0: Joining us now is senior researcher at the Migration Observatory, Peter Walsh, to continue our conversation. Peter, welcome to the programme. Thanks for being with us. So I'd be interested in your view on this government policy. Is it serious in your estimation?
2: Well, that will come down to whether it has any reasonable prospect of achieving its aim. And this is a deterrent aim, aims to deter people getting in small boats and traveling to the UK to claim asylum. But there have been real questions raised about about whether it's likely to achieve that aim, including by the permanent secretary within the Home Office who said he couldn't guarantee it would represent good value for money because there could be no guarantees that it would have this deterrent effect. And the criticisms are focused here on the capacity of this facility in Rwanda currently estimated to be 100, it could be expanded to perhaps 300. But if we have 30,000 people arriving by small boat, that would represent a very small fraction that would be able to be transferred to Rwanda. And if there's only a small probability of being transferred, will that change the mind of people who are already so desperate to reach the UK?
4: It does sound like a, a small number, but you would think that it would act as a deterrent, wouldn't you? Because Rwanda is a long way away and most people trying to get to the UK presumably don't want to go to Rwanda, whether it is safe or not.
2: That is the logic. But what is the chance that they will be sent to Rwanda? If it's, let's say, the facility has a capacity of 300 and we have the same number of small boat arrivals as last year, 30,000, then that would represent just 1%. And there are real questions about whether that is a high enough probability to actually prevent people from making that trip. And let's just remember that these are people who are desperate on reaching the UK. They are the small share of asylum seekers who make it to the EU, who actually decide, no, we want to travel and make that last and dangerous leg of the trip to the UK. Um,
0: uh, is it legal for the UK to do this in terms of the responsibility um, that, that countries have to, to migrants? Uh, I mean, this is not you know, we're not the only country that has considered this kind of offshoring or indeed enacted a kind of offshoring policy. Australia is well known for it. Israel and Denmark have both tried it too.
2: Yeah, so there is a clause in the Nationality and Borders Bill that's currently before Parliament that would enable us to send asylum seekers to save third countries. There's nothing in the Refugee Convention, as it's been interpreted by the UK so far, To forbid sending asylum seekers to safe third countries, but much will turn on that word safe and whether Rwanda can be considered safe for the asylum seekers that we send there. And that's in view of its human rights record. And also bearing in mind that this is a country from which refugees flee, including those from the LGBT community. So that really is where the legal challenges are likely to focus on. And also, on the particular conditions within this asylum facility and whether the people there are exposed to inhuman or degrading treatment as arguments were made, people face those kinds of conditions in the Australian offshoring experiment.
4: We spoke to uh, one MP this week who told us that there are plenty of legal routes to claim asylum. Is that, is that, is that
2: correct? Is that your view? And if so, what are they? Um, It's not my view. And this all hinges on the fact that to claim asylum in the UK, as for most other countries, you have to be in the UK. You have to be on UK soil. It's not possible to claim asylum abroad at an embassy or um, apply for a humanitarian visa to allow someone to travel legally to the UK for the specific purpose of claiming asylum. There is no asylum visa. And so that in effect compels people to enter irregularly by hiding away in lorries or travelling by small boat. There is one legal route that people talk a a lot about, and that's refugee resettlement. That's been compared to a scene from the first Toy Story movie where the toys find themselves in an amusement arcade grabber machine, one of those machines with a claw, and there are some toys in this machine, and they view the claw as akin to a god that takes them to a better place, but it does take them at random and refugee resettlement is very much like that it's a lottery and just a tiny share perhaps one percent of those who are identified as refugees in refugee camps are are selected by the UN to be transferred for other countries so it's a very small number that can be resettled through that route. And what sort
4: of numbers come to the UK through that particular route that you
2: describe? Well in the past couple of years not very many fewer than a thousand. But prior to that, it was about 5,000 a year, and that was under a Syrian resettlement scheme, but that was open only to people fleeing the Syrian conflict. We do have another similar scheme now, the Afghan Citizens Resettlement Scheme, but that's for Afghan citizens. So the resettlement options are fairly limited. We have now a global UK resettlement scheme. Now, that's for all citizens, but it's resettled very few people so far. So the chances to actually... To resettled really as a refugee, very small indeed at the moment.
0: Is the government's policy really um, tenable? Does it still um, chime with voters' views that that um, voters want to see sort of essentially the less migration, uh, the the better? That was kind of considered a theme uh, and one of the reasons, perhaps, behind the Brexit vote by some. Have views on that change, though. We have an incredibly tight labour market now and need for workers. Is this going to be the continued um, kind of direction of travel for the UK and for this government, do you think?
2: So it is true that uh, immigration was a big reason behind Brexit. And at that time, the UK had some of the hardest immigration attitudes of any European country, but there is evidence that those attitudes have softened since Brexit and now the UK appears to have one of the most welcoming attitudes towards immigration. This is a somewhat separate issue, I suppose, the asylum issue, the irregular migration issue to the labour market issue. And I mm. understand that there is actually quite broad support for policies that would reduce channel crossings but whether this policy achieves that aim very uncertain indeed
4: assuming this is the kind of the, the, the will of the government to to implement this policy and of course there's been criticism from 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 many sides c- could it work do you think it's possible with the right amount of money uh, and the right conditions f- for it,
2: for it to be successful it could be but i think critics make a good point when they raise questions about it, its efficacy taking the queue from the permanent secretary, who said himself, there can be no guarantees that this will represent good value for money. The Australian scheme was extremely expensive, anywhere between one and one and a half billion Australian dollars, sometimes to house fewer than 300 people in Papua New Guinea and Nauru. My suggestion is that it would probably have to be scaled up quite considerably beyond just a few hundred places. So that, that were, There was a real chance of people crossing the channel of being transferred to Rwanda. But as it currently looks, and this is a trial, of course, I think there are real questions about whether it will represent good value for money and have that deterrent effect that the government wants.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it was questioned also by the former Prime Minister, Theresa May, um, you know, not just on efficacy, but sort of on moral grounds, also on whether it would um, increase the trafficking of of women and girls, potentially uh, human, human trafficking, which is also kind of a... a a thread too. I mean, this also is is somewhat separate, isn't it, to the other major migration issue, which is on Ukraine. The UN talking about five million people uh, fleeing Ukraine. How welcoming um, is the UK? The rhetoric has been very open, but the numbers, again, coming from Ukraine in terms of refugee resettlement, have been tiny.
2: They've been small relative to other countries, but those other countries have previously already quite large Ukrainian diasporas quite large numbers of Ukrainians there and those are countries like Italy like Spain, like Germany, Poland and so forth. The UK has actually received about a hundred thousand applications for visas for its Ukraine schemes that already quite a bit more restrictive than the EU offer where no visas are initially required and so far about 50,000 visas have been issued but there were only about 40,000 ukrainians in the uk so it's not clear that we will see the large numbers moving to the uk that we have seen to other countries with much bigger ukrainian populations there populations in the hundreds of thousands rather than in the low tens
4: what do you think of the uh, the quite innovative approach that the government's taken towards the uh, towards ukrainian refugees the sponsorship scheme and uh, uh, people uh, coming to 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 live with people in Britain. Do you think that's something that could be extended to other uh, migrant groups? Admittedly, there is very widespread sympathy for the Ukrainians, uh, and, and that may not transfer to other groups. But could it work more widely?
2: It could work more likely, uh, widely, and that's what refugee NGOs have been clamouring for. I think those Ukraine schemes, they have been welcome. Uh, admittedly, though, they are more restrictive than what the EU is offering but i think because of that people are saying hey why can't we open this up to afghans other refugees around the world rather than what we seem to have been doing recently which is actually been quite selective and having these bespoke routes for particular nationalities in response to particular geopolitical events around the world the other example of this apart from the afghan scheme is the Hong Kong scheme for British Mm. national overseas citizens there. So I think there is a lot of clamour actually for similar kinds of schemes to be adopted for other groups around the world.
4: Bloomberg Westminster, listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.
1: The countdown has begun from May 14th to 16th